run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hello and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jeremy Green. Hey, everybody. And I'm Jonathan Stark. And today we are going to talk about charging differently. So charging different clients differently for different reasons. This is Jeremy's idea. So can you kick it off a little bit? Give us a context. Yeah, sure. So I just thought it might be interesting to get a little bit into the weeds about what it really means when you do charge clients differently. And by charging differently, I mean kind of the difference between hourly fees, weekly rates, monthly rates maybe, and value-based pricing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think some common objections to, to that people have to changing the way that they bill clients or charge clients is often related to either not understanding or misunderstanding kind of what the implications of that are. And that not only do you charge differently, you kind of have to interact with them differently. You, in some cases, are going to be doing different things. And in lots of cases, you will be talking about really new clients. Uh, I hear a lot of people object to changing the way that they structure their practice, mainly based on, oh, I can't change stuff for my existing clients because we already have a relationship and they're not going to stand for that. Mm -hmm. And so that is a like a, a lot of people, I think, see that as a deal breaker and, oh, well, if I can't, you know, make a, a change across the board, including for my existing clients, then it's not worth making that change. And so I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I thought it might be interesting to kind of start pulling some of that apart a little bit and kind of get into those weeds a bit. Sure. Yeah, that's great. And, and that totally parallels my experience, my experience with students where one of the big questions I'll get once someone is, once someone is like, yeah, hourly, hourly billing is really causing problems for me. Now that, now that I see that, I want to switch over to a, another approach, which could be, could be uh, fixed prices based on cost. It could be fixed prices, preferably based on value. It could be productized services that are just fixed price across the board. There, it could be giving proposals with a mix of hourly estimates and fixed prices. There's a, a bunch of ways you can do it. But the big question I get is, how do I convert my existing clients to value pricing? And the answer is, is usually, you know, you're probably better off just getting new clients. 
than doing keeping the old clients the way they are. Use them for your keep the lights on money, carve out, uh, you know, just make sure they don't overwork you, you know, max you out every week with hours so that you've got time to do marketing and sales and get some new leads that you can value price. Because like you said, the almost always the thing Certainly the way that you're going to talk about a project is going to be different than the way you talk about something that you've been billing hourly for, but probably they need to change the way they view you. Like you have to change the pigeonhole that you're in, in their mind. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like being in the friend zone and you like want to, you want to get out of the friend zone and be like, you know, the boyfriend or the girlfriend. It's really hard because they see you in a particular way. You're, Usually, not always, but a lot of times when you're being, you know, billing in arrears by, you know, whatever, you're tracking your time, you're sending invoices every week, two weeks, every month, whatever it is. And you say, okay, this, these are the things that I did on your behalf. These are the activities I engaged in. And now you owe me for that time that I spent. But there's really, if there's a, if there is a conversation about goals achieved, it's, it takes a backseat to this is the stuff I did. This is time I spent for you that I could have spent playing video games. And, mm-hmm. and now you owe me. And that's just ex- extremely different um, relationship than saying, hey, you know, look, I'm proposing to do, I'm proposing to have an impact on you and your team and your business. And that impact is worth X and I'll charge you a fraction of X to achieve that impact. And it's all done in advance. It's done proactively. It is based on trust and authority and expertise and not cost or time or anything like that. So it it's, it's one thing to shift your mind so that you can start thinking in terms of outcomes instead of, hey, I'm awesome at Photoshop. I'm going to retouch all these images for you and then you owe me money for however long it took me to switch that around to I'm going to deliver some outcome for your business that, Oh, by the way, means that I'm probably going to be retouching some images, but that's not the point. The point Mm -hmm. is that you want your, I don't know, you want to increase your, the sales of your book, or you want to get more leads in through your, um, you want to increase your, your traffic on your site based on these like beautiful infographics or something like that. Some, some business outcome. And to switch that, to switch that mindset, in yourself is difficult. Now imagine trying to project that into uh, a relationship that's perhaps lasted years. All of a sudden you want, you know, your client, Joe Smith to start seeing you start talking about outcomes instead of like, instead of what you've been talking about the whole time, which is here's a list of activities that I want, you know, here's a task list. I want you to do these things and I'll pay you later. Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely very hard to change your own mind, even harder to change your clients' minds. So it sounds like more work probably, but could be that you're better off just attracting new clients with new, with a new approach and, and leaving the old ones the way they are to eventually perhaps, you know, slough off or maybe later change them over. But it's definitely hard. Mm-hmm. And Part of the, it seems like part of that new approach, maybe not always, but definitely a lot of times uh, is going to involve kind of 
really strategically positioning yourself in a niche. Uh, and to illustrate maybe what I'm trying to get at, an example might help. Um, like, you know, I know a lot of freelance developers uh, do, you know, what, what you'd call generalist stuff. They, mm-hmm. you know, find clients that have a list of work two miles long that, you know, their project's not going to be done for years probably. And, okay, I, I can help you with that. And every week or every month we'll decide what we're working on for this iteration and do some work. And it's kind of a, a staff aug type of a, a relationship. Whereas um, to do value price, like, yeah, to do value price stuff, it kind of seems like you have to be looking at smaller chunks of work. Does that track with your experience? Yeah, hundred percent. So you can't, well, yes. In terms like in all practicality, yes. I only use value pricing for projects. And when I say project, I mean something very specific, which is a, a collaboration between you and your client that has a beginning, middle and an end. There's a, there's a desired future state that is defined before you start. So you decide where you're going before you start driving the car. And Mm -hmm. there's, a general idea of how long it should take, you know, roughly, you know, is this, is this a six month thing? Is this a six week thing? Is this an 18 month thing? And the, I tend to recommend that people try to break up anything that's longer than say six months, try and break it up into phases so that you can de-risk it as much as possible for you. Because if you're going to be giving value prices, that's, those are fixed. And if you have this huge chunk of work, I think it starts to get really dangerous around 12 months, like seriously, seriously dangerous. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're going to quote a 12 month project and this is your first whack at value pricing, you're almost certainly going to price it too low and then feel like <laughs> you're beholden to this client and you feel like you're losing money. Your effective hourly rate is lower than it used to be. So all, all bad things. So I try to have people, you know, break a big project into little projects and decide what the outcome of each piece should be. So if you imagine someone comes to you with, uh, I don't know, like we need to have a, you know, our site needs to be made mobile friendly or something like that. It's like, all right, well, let's, let's break this into phases and say, okay, what are the, what, what are the big problems here? Uh, you know, the, the checkout doesn't work on mobile very well. Okay. Well, let's focus on that first. That'll be stage one. That's the low hanging fruit that I'm always looking for low hanging fruit with these. Mm-hmm. And let's decide what, what a, if we were just going to focus on the checkout flow, what would be a huge win for you guys? What would a home run look like? And they'll say, well, you know, conversions on mobile will double or go up by some percentage or something like that, then, all right. Um, and then you decide if you're confident in your ability to deliver that outcome. Uh, and if so, then you say, all right, how are we going to measure this in this particular example? It'd be pretty easy to measure, but there could be other examples where you're trying to increase employee morale or decrease customer churn or, uh, yep. whatever the case may be. Um, it could be something intangible is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but the, the client needs to be bought in on it. They need to be enrolled in the, the process they need to they need to agree with you everybody needs to be in agreement about where you're going otherwise everybody's going to have a hand on the wheel and pulling the car all over the place 
And that's where scope creep comes from. That's where projects get out of control and they go off the rails. So if you can start out by deciding what the needle is you're trying to move, and the, the customer can always tell you how to, how to measure it. They always can because they know it's bad because they're measuring it. So there's always some way to measure it. You mm-hmm. say, okay, um, that I, I'm confident that with my skill set, I can move that needle. How far do you want to move it? Okay, and let's get started. But try and keep it, try and keep it. It's, gotta, it's not going to be an open-ended thing. For open-ended things that are just ongoing, that's when I, when I reach for an advisory retainer type of relationship. So, and, and I, and people who don't do advisory stuff, they, they think, oh, support and maintenance contracts, things like that, which are not my favorite. They're very low profit, but that's a, a different way to price. You're pricing a different thing there. Mm-hmm. Does that track with your experience? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. In the past, you know, attempted to convince myself that I could value price really large projects and eventually <laughs> decided now I, I don't think this is going to be a good idea. Uh, I feel like I'm taking on way too much risk here. And, and I think part of that has been trouble nailing down kind of objectives and, mm-hmm. and, or nailing down business outcomes, I think. And part of my difficulty in the past with that has been doing greenfield development for new companies that, you know, don't even have a needle to be moved yet. Um, and that makes agreeing on business outcomes pretty tough because they're, you know, in the new business case, there are just so many variables that are outside of my control as a developer that are going to come into play on whether or not their project can be successful that I generally don't feel comfortable shouldering a significant amount of that risk. Right. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's much easier to do value pricing with mature businesses. So, you know, whether you want to call them startups or early stage or whatever, but, but new companies, they don't have a history to look at. So they don't know. They have sort of usually have really grandiose ideas about what <laughs> could happen. It's kind of like, you know, going to Vegas and rolling the dice and yeah. it's really hard to value price that kind of thing. And to me, it feels more like R and D where mm-hmm. that, that might make sense. It's not my, my cup of tea, but that might be a place where it makes sense to do like a week, at least a weekly rate instead of an hourly uh, or maybe a mm-hmm. monthly rate to do essentially, like I said, R and D it's like, and I've done this very, very, maybe once or twice in 10 or 15 years, I've I had a situation where somebody was like, uh, essentially I did a feasibility study. They're like, is this possible to do in a mobile browser? Like, here's mm-hmm. the, here's the thing we want the, the, to do mm-hmm. and very technical, very specific. Is this even possible? And I'll say, I don't know, but I'll, you know, I can try and I'll keep trying until you tell me to stop that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, I don't remember how I I know I wouldn't have done that hourly, but it's possible that I said something like, um, you know, I'll go for, I'll try and work on this this week. I mean, I'll do, I'll work on this for a week for X, X amount of dollars. And at the end we can touch base and I can give you a feel if I, if, if, either figure it out 
um, or I'm on to some, you know, or I think, you know, I haven't figured it out yet, but I think I just, I, I haven't ruled it out yet. There might be a way, yeah. uh, or I'll just be like, nah, this is impossible. And maybe, and maybe I'll either prove or disprove the hypothesis on day one and still be like, all right, you still paid me whatever, $10,000, but mm-hmm. here's your answer. And it's like, you could value price that it's like, what's the answer worth? And you could get into it, but it's so, it's really hard to, the, the problem with value pricing something small, because it is possible. I mean, it's technically possible. Everybody, everybody who buys something is making a value decision. Every single thing you buy, you're, you're saying, is this worth it to me? And the answer is either yes or no. And if the answer is yes, you buy it. So mm-hmm. you could, you could do that with the, the customer, but having a good value conversation is, it's not easy. It's a little bit emotionally draining. It requires a lot of, it's just cognitive overhead. So if the overall project is relatively small, you know, like a week long thing, it's, it's like tedious to get into that. It needs to be a big, in the best case scenario, you can tell, here's what I look for when I, when I see like a great project for value pricing, when it's a bet the business type of project that's in my wheelhouse basically. So a customer comes to me and they've got, they're at a crossroads and somebody at the top has determined or is like smart enough to see the writing on the wall. And they're like, we don't have these capabilities in house and it's critical. This is an existential problem for us. We need to go into this space. For me, it was always mobile. Like somebody who, who was like, we need to get into this mobile space, mobile web space, whatever it was. And, and this is a big giant deal. We cannot wait. It's urgent. We're betting the business on this go. And those deals close super fast. It's not a long lead time. It's very high risk for them. Very high value. I mean, even if the company is 20 employees, that's still a very high value engagement. So if you, anything less than that, like, eh, you know, design seems a little, little musty, you know, design looks a little old. That's not a great thing to value price because, you know, you can tell the client doesn't really care. They could kind of do it whenever they've already been, it's already been languishing. Um, they're mm-hmm. not feeling any particular urgency or risk. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, I can give you the names of some people that could probably do that for cheap. I mean, I don't think you need me. Yeah. I mean, you could probably go to 99 designs or you could go to Fiverr or something and, or Upwork and find somebody that can, you know, freshen it up for you a little bit. But if, if they're just looking to have, you know, their website detailed like a car, it's like, you know, really what's the, there's just not that much value there. So I can't price it in a way you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to get a client to approve a fee that's higher than what it's worth to them, obviously. So mm-hmm. if, if this is worth to them 500 bucks, but it's going to take me 10,000 hours, yeah. there's, there's not a fit, you yeah. know, it's like, I can't do 10,000 hours of work for 500 bucks. So they either aren't going to get it done or they're going to need to find someone for whom they either can, someone who can do it faster than 10,000 hours or someone who, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who will do it for that amount of money, but you can't change. It's very difficult to change what somebody thinks something is worth. It's not impossible, but it's kind of hard. So for, so, you know, how do we, how do we end up here? We were talking about, um, talking about ongoing engagements that are basically R and D and it's like, start, it's like, well, you can pay me X per week 
to figure this out and I'll report back periodically and you can just tell me to stop when you want me to stop. You do, you do weekly sometimes, don't you? Yeah, I do weekly with some of my clients uh, where I'm more or less, you know, taking requirements from their product owner and implementing features and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that, well, you know, like I mentioned earlier, just, you know, task list miles long that is never going to be done. And mm-hmm. however many number of years, you know, ongoing living products, yeah. uh, yeah. and, and yeah, the, you know, the, those things are pretty tough to carve out bits that could be value priced. Right. Um, right. But weekly is better. You, I'm sure you find weekly is much better than hourly. Oh, oh, loads better. Yeah. Uh, incomparably better. Mm-hmm. Um, it removes lots of, it's just way better. It, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I imagine it would be, it's less administrative overhead, I'm sure. Yes. Plus yep. less micromanagement. Yep. Um, probably less fear on the client's part. Like, is he working or is he not working? Because yep. I've had situations where I've hired people by the hour who like go nuts in one week, work 80 hours. And I'm like, mm, bro, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that, you know? Yeah. And, yep. you know, so it's just so much, but if it's weekly and it's a weekly thing, go ahead, work 120 hours. I'm still only paying you the weekly rate, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a lot more consistent with, it's more predictable for everybody, which yep. clients like. They do. They really do. Um, and it, it also, I find helps focus both parties on what are the things that we're actually getting done here instead of how long did you spend? Why did you spend so long on that? (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, it, it means that when something needs to be refactored because it's just in a messy state and you know, it needs to be cleaned up to even be able to add this feature. Uh, you know, those, that time is not second guessed generally yeah. it's, you know, Oh, that's, you know, it's the thing you did and it helps get the feature done. Great. Um, yeah, yeah. You're allowed to do your work the way you think it should be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. Um, it takes out the, the micromanaging piece of it. So now here's the thing I've always wondered. So, uh, and, and, Past panelist Eric Davis is a big proponent of weekly, and the question, the sort of conversation we always had was, well, what about when you don't finish all the stuff you were expecting to finish that week? And his answer to that was always, well, I'm amazing at estimating how long it's going to take <laughs> me to do something, and I'm like, okay, but what if you weren't? Like, because the listener might not be, because uh-huh. I feel like that becomes, you know. If, if weeks keep going by and you're doing half as much, getting half as much done as the client expected, like what happens there? Is it just like a trust thing? Like, Hey man, you know, when, when like a worker comes in your house and they go to replace a, 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 like a wall socket and they're like, uh, turns out there's like a family of raccoons living in here that needs to be addressed <laughs> first, yeah. you know, and, and they just trust you and you can kind of like, you have that conversation or like, how do you, how do you handle that? When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers 
feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks, and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like Backups, Node Balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code FREELANCERSHOW2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is FREELANCERSHOW2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com careers to see their available positions. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a trust issue and has to come back to the strength of the relationship that you have with the client. Um, I, you know... For one, I try to raise issues or potential issues to the client just as early as possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, like I never want to get to the end of the week and then be telling them, oh, by the way, on Tuesday, I discovered this thing that then blew out the rest of the week. Like as soon as I have an inkling that, oh, man, we've got a mess here that we're going to have to clean up before we can attack this. Uh, I'll, I'll let the client know about it. And, you know, it's, I don't always go into super great detail on it. I just will let them know, Hey, I want to let you know before it becomes a problem mm -hmm. that there might be a problem here. And, you know, if you, if you want more details, let me know. But this week, you know, what we decided yesterday about what we're going to get done this week is looking possibly less likely now. Uh, yeah. And for these reasons. Um, so, yeah, it takes it takes lots of communication. You have to be really upfront with the client. They have to trust you. You know, if you're if you're in a relationship with the client where it's uh, kind of at its root adversarial instead of collaborative, mm -hmm. uh, that that's not going to work. They're they're going to be second guessing you and, you know, asking is is that really necessary that you do that can you just do the quick and dirty thing that's going to leave the mess in place and just add to the mess yeah uh, paper over and yeah yeah um and so it's it's definitely important that you have a relationship and surface things early and yeah if it you know if it is something that week after week you're just not getting done the things that you said that you're going to do that's going to erode the trust that the client has in you and um, is, you know, not sustainable over the long term, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You uh, and if you find yourself in that, I think you need to probably have a conversation with the client um, to try to rebalance expectations um, because either they're. You know, at, at, at some point, you've, I think, probably allowed them to get ideas in their head that aren't realistic. Mm. Uh, and it's, you know, when the, when, when I have conversations with clients about what are we going to do this week? You know, I always try to be very upfront about, you know, things are going to take time or no, I, I realize that you want all of this done this week, but that's just too much. I, there's no way I'm going to get all of that done this week. So we need to pick the most important things for this week. And then the rest of that stuff we'll do next week. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I find that part of, um, like the, the expected longevity of the relationship, I think 
plays in to how well those kind of setbacks are accepted. Yeah. Uh, you know, when that kind of thing happens with clients that are long-term that, you know, I have a open-ended weekly contract with, um, it's usually not a big deal, uh, because I, I think one, because I, due to how long I've already been working with them, there is trust built up that right. they know I'm not trying to take advantage of them. Uh, whereas if, you know, it's a, a smaller project and I've told somebody, Hey, I'll work on this for eight weeks for you. Having a week kind of get blown because of something that was unexpected is a much bigger deal. Uh, and clients tend to be a little less kind of forgiving and understanding in that case because they, you know, they're, they're trying to look at it as a fixed price deal. Right. And now that it's going to take nine or 10 weeks instead of eight weeks, that's, you know, to them, a, a changing of the deal, which it, which it is. Uh, but it, you know, the, the whole idea of doing weekly in those cases, instead of a fixed project fee is to account for the unknown unknowns. Right. Um, yep. Yeah. I want to, I want to loop back, especially to something you said there about update the client as early as possible. When you find the raccoons in the wall, it's, mm -hmm. it's so here, let me, I want to describe that a little bit from the client side. Cause I've been <laughs> on both sides of this. The, the, when that happens, it can change, you know, especially if it's early in the week. So say Monday, you decide what's going to happen during the week or in my world, it usually is a two week sprint. So it, it'll be like, it could be in the first couple of days after we push the last pile of code and it's like, okay, that's on production. What are we going to do next time? All right. We move all this stuff into everybody's to-do list. Okay, great. And then one day in developer finds out like, oh, this is not, this is not, this is way harder. I know I said on the call that this should be pretty easy, but it turns out it's completely wrong. There's something I didn't realize, and this is it. If you tell if if the client knows that, they can reprioritize the sprint. So they can say, Oh, okay, all right. Well, if you think that's gonna take a full sprint, then let's let's table that for now. And I'd rather replace it with this mm -hmm. next next thing on the list, which everyone agrees should should be able to get done. And they've got a million I mean, like you don't know what the usually you're not privy to everything that's going on with the client. You know, they might have, um, they might have, uh, promotions set up with some VIP in the industry to promote like the SAS that they're working on and certain things absolutely have to be done before the webinar or before mm -hmm. the conference or something like that. So something, you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time, of course, but sometimes stuff can't slide for some reason. And, they might want to, they might have to kind of thread the needle between the promises that they made to the VIP partner and what actually is going to get done. And so they're managing expectations on their end. So if they don't know, or if they get surprised late in the game, like, oh, things not going to get done. Now they have to grovel to the VIP partner and be like, oh man, you know, whatever, yep. dog ate my homework. Yep. And that's not fun. That, you know, putting, putting the, the client in a position like that is really bad. That eats trust fast. Yep. Uh, and, and often things I think get prioritized, not only on how important that given feature or bug fix is to the client, 
but also on perceived or guesstimated effort that it's going to take. And like sometimes I've run into situations where somebody had something prioritized very highly because they had assumed it would be a quick and easy fix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when it's uncovered that, oh, no, it's not, this is there's a whole ball of string under here that is going to unravel if we start pulling on it. Then they decide, Oh, you know what? That's really not all that important. And I would much rather have these other 12 things fixed this week Hmm. than for you to spend the whole week doing this one thing, because maybe it's kind of an edge case that only affects a couple of, you know, their high profile clients. And yeah, they do want to, make those clients happy, but not at the expense of letting all the rest of their clients experience these other 12 bugs. Right. Um, yeah, and we, we get that all the time. It's like, it's like, Oh, it turns out that's a big deal. Never mind. We'll just handle it with customer service. Done. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. that happens so, a lot. Yep. We'll just educate and, around it or we'll, you mm-hmm. know, make a minor tweak to it, add some microcopy to the interface that explains the weirdness. It's not really mm-hmm. a bug. It would be it would be cooler if it wasn't like that, but it's not that big a deal. If it's going to be, I'd rather not devote like you know three man hours of dev time to or mm-hmm. person hours of dev time to this particular issue because it's really not that big a deal. If it was a quick fix, great. If it's not, forget it. Yep. Yeah, and it's important to surface that information so that the client can be the one that makes that decision. And you know, I don't want to let myself get in the position of deciding for the client what is important and what I should be focusing on when I'm in that kind of a weekly, you know, I I get stuff done for you mode, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, which, which is different, uh, a different approach than I would take uh, on a purely value-based thing. And in that kind of arrangement, I often, you know, am, kind of trying to shield the client from having to get too much into the minutia. And if, you know, I misestimated something and it's a, a value project, well, that's on me and I just got to eat that and do the, the big fix. Um, yep. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's a hundred percent true on the value, on the value project. I still have a high degree of communication with the client. But it's mm-hmm. yeah. but I don't get it. I don't get them into the weed. Like I don't bring pull them into the black box as much. It's a lot less. So like if I've got a, I might have a snarly code situation. I'm not going to go to them and say, oh look, I don't know. You know, if we index these tables, it's going to take blah blah blah. And you know, it'll be faster if we do that. But I've got it. You know, it's going to slow the database down while it's doing it, or we're going to have to upgrade to a different. I don't get into that. Mm-hmm. you know, on a value project, I'll say, I'll get in there and I'll say, okay, what are the different ways that this could affect? I'll say something like, you know, if, if the issue is that I can do this one way that requires restarting the database, which could take 30 minutes, or I could do it another way, which would, you know, not require a service interruption, but, you know, is going to result in like every page load being slow or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would get at them with like the business case, like, uh, I would say, okay, the one I want to do is restart the database, but it's going to take a while. What, you know, I would say to the client, look, uh, is, is there a good time to, to have a half an hour of downtime? When would that be? What can we do to mitigate the impact on users? Is, 
and get into like stuff they understand. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're like, yeah, it's no big deal. Um, we've got, you know, all of our users are in the U S there's extremely low. I would know this anyway from the logs, but there's practically nobody in the system, um, from, you know, 3am to 4am Eastern time, do it then yeah. and it'd be no big deal. Or there'll be people who are like, no, 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 we've got users all over the world. This is finance mm -hmm. software that needs to be up constantly. Uh, I'd look for, so I might come up with a solution. I'd be like, okay, I understand the business context. I understand the business needs. I'm going to go figure out probably some really difficult workaround that would mm -hmm. allow me to kind of do both things, like increase the page load time without having to restart the database. And it might be crazy and weird, but I'm not going to drag the client into it. It's like, you know, they, they couldn't care less. I mean, if I asked for their opinion, Oh, do you think I should do this or that? They'll probably, they'll pick one. They'll have me educate them about all these, to have this one conversation, like, and then they'll make a judgment call, which is probably not a great one. Cause they just learned about this 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and you know, I'm not going to suck them into that. Yeah. But yeah. You know, so the weekly thing, it's, it's so much more, uh, it's funny that now we're talking about it. I think that it's a different kind of client, which sort of gets back to the topic of the episode. Yeah. It's just a very different kind of client. Like it the, is. the, the person that I'm picturing, like I'm thinking back to scenarios, person that I'm picturing in the sort of sprint type of scenario is very hands-on person in a small company who used to be the, who originally built the first proof of concept and has a grasp of a lot of the technical issues and can, and can understand them and, and kind of likes, to, you know, itches at him when he doesn't understand like what, why, and when you explain why he understands it. And then the other kind of person is like, you know, more like, completely non-technical, like a lawyer who started a business that has a huge technical component component that they never understood. And just, you know, they, all they understand is like the interface. We need an interface mm -hmm. like this for lawyers to do X, Y, and Z. I've got a bunch of, you know, I had someone build it. It works. It's crap. Um, we need someone to, <laughs> to make it less crappy. And they have yeah. no idea where it's hosted, what it is, what language it's written in. They don't know anything about it. And and and, there, and usually it's a bigger organization with more money um, that you know to to play with, and they they want to be insulated from the the details of the of the um, the implementation. Like they don't care; yep. they just want it to. Work. I just want it to work. Like that's a common, yep, common sort of. You know, if you ask me a lot of questions about this or that, I just want it to work. Like, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. So and if you imagine that you've got clients who are like the first one I described and you start coming at them with these value priced or you want to have like a why conversation with them or give them value priced proposals or get into a value conversation, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? I just need someone to unclog my toilet. Like, just go, mm -hmm. just go do it. And the other person is like. Yeah, they're much more open to it because they're the only thing they understand are business outcomes. So that's the only thing they want to talk about. So yep. it's like a natural fit for them. So trying to trying to drop a value conversation on someone who is very used to the technical, perhaps not not an amazing developer, but certainly understands what WordPress is and what plugins are and how to set up a server and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. on, on wordpress.com then it's like okay so this person's reasonably savvy they they're they're not gonna it's gonna be hard to get that person 
to be, it's like you're trying to change them into like a different business type of business person in order to have a value conversation with. It's not a good fit. Yep. So yep. goes it's back to absolutely the absolutely right. Goes back to the the idea, the notion of like it's almost it's hard to attract clients, but it's probably easier to attract new clients for value price projects than it is to tr probably than to switch over existing clients to more of a, a value price approach. Mm -hmm. They're probably the wrong kind of person, wrong kind of business. Yeah. So do you have, uh, you know, being the value pricing advocate that you are, uh, do you have tips or suggestions for people that are trying to make the move from hourly or weekly to value based, both in terms of uh, like what they should offer compared to what they may currently being be offering, mm. uh, and how to find that new type of prospect. Yeah, yeah, great question. It's a huge answer, but I can give you the 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 TLDR <laughs> is. The first thing I try to get people to do is just get them off of trading time for money, which mm -hmm. would not go straight to value pricing. That okay. is hard. Okay. So, uh, so ways to do that, it, do weekly. It's still time for money, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's mm -hmm. not specific, It's not down to the hourly. Like, like if you say I worked this hour, it means you worked that hour. If you say, yeah, I worked on this stuff this week, it doesn't mean that you worked 40 hours and I mean, yep. unless that's the agreement, but it probably is probably is expected that it's not always going to be 40 hours or it's not even necessarily going to be close to 40. Who knows? It could yep. be anything. I mean, like there's nights, there's weekends, especially, I, well, with monthly, especially there's nights and weekends. And uh, mm -hmm. obviously you're not working around the clock for the entire month. So it's, it's implied that you're not constantly working for them. So going to weekly, I think is one, one approach that's, uh, reasonable. I think you can convert hourly clients to that. And I think it's better. It gets people less focused on exactly like you said, like why this takes so long. Why did you refactor this? Couldn't you have skipped it? Uh, there's less mm -hmm. conversation around that, which is nice. Uh, another thing you can do is, and I think this is by far the easiest thing is to create a productized service where mm -hmm. you have a very specific thing that you notice that you've done many times in the past. It could be a database migration. It could be a, um, who knows? Well, yeah, freelancer show. So it could be, it could be a marketing calendar. It could be setting up a sales funnel. It could be, um, optimizing for uh, your Google, my business account. It could be something very specific that you'd notice that you do over and over again for people and is relatively fixed scope, regardless of how big the business is. So it's a thing that you can do in a very short time that, you know, let's say take a, a few hours, perhaps over the course of a week or two that has a very clear business outcome. It's very, there's a very clear outcome. It could be a deliverable. That's fine, but it should, it should be, they, the, the client should feel value at the end of it. Like, Oh, that was worth it. And mm -hmm. you price that thing, you put it on your site. It's this you know, it's $995 for my you know, Google, my business setup. All right. Okay. So people come to you if they know they want that already, then they'll be like, huh, that's either worth it to me or it's not. And if it is, they'll call you or whatever the call to action is. Mm -hmm. And what you can do then is get really good at delivering that service, like wicked fast. 
basically. So you optimize your costs. So op optimize the delivery so that your costs decrease, 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 and your effective hourly rate goes up. So your profit margin goes up and you can, and you can also raise the price over time. So like, wow, this is really selling at 995. I'm going to, I'm going to try 1295. I'm going to try 1795 mm -hmm. and you can increase the price, decrease your labor and in fact, increase the value you're delivering because you're probably getting better at it. Your expertise is getting better at delivering this particular thing. So you can do it faster and better for more money, which sounds good, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Great. And it's really and you don't have to have a value conversation because you've got a sales page with a price on it. So people can either take it or leave it. So you just drive people to the page one way or another. And you don't have to have that really this conversation that why conversation is very, very hard for people to do. Um, so, you know, the downside of this is that you can be leaving money on the table, but it's still way better than, than um, way better than plunging headfirst into value conversations and doing a terrible job and then pricing yours, giving really way too low fixed prices for projects. And it's way better than hourly. And the thing that I, I like better, uh, I like it better about, the thing that I like better about it than weekly is that uh, you can optimize it in a way that you it, it's repeatable. You can optimize it in a way that you can't do with when you're doing like weekly dev or weekly content marketing, whatever you're doing by the week. Uh, it's it, you can't really optimize. You can optimize that to a certain extent. You can create your own tools and that sort of thing. But um, this is way easier to optimize because it's the same thing over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing you can do, and before I leave productized services, there's one other really great benefit of it, which is that all of the positioning stuff that we talk about, and when Philip was on, he used to talk about it all the time. You can do all that positioning stuff around the productized service instead of your entire business, which uh, mm. which makes the fear a lot less. Yeah. So you don't feel like you're betting the whole business on, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna reposition myself as like a Rails developer for dentists or whatever. This particular product is its own thing. It's, it needs to make sense with what you do. And I'm sure it will because you're using your existing skill set. but it can be positioned independently of your overall business. And maybe eventually it turns out that it becomes your whole business, but you don't feel like you have to make that decision. It'll be so obvious because you're printing money with this thing. So that's, yeah. so productized services are great. And, uh, what's the next thing? The next thing is when you do get a new, when a new client comes through the door, and they are looking for whatever it is that you do. Let's say you're a Rails developer. Say, hey, we got your name from someone. They said you're a great Rails developer. We need some Rails development done. What's your hourly rate? You can say, you, you won't hear me say this very often. You can say, what are 150 bucks an hour? And they say, okay, can you put together a proposal? You say, sure, let's have a conversation. So you get on the phone with them and you have, and you have a conversation with them to the best of your ability where you try to figure out what the value is, but you probably won't be able to, you'll probably just have your normal kind of conversation where you try and figure out scope and you go, okay, great. I know what you need done. I've got this list of things you need. Um, there's a project here for sure. Uh, I'm capable of handling it. And you just write your normal proposal. It's like, Hey, thanks for, thanks for, you know, letting me bid on this. Nice talking to you on the phone the other day. I estimate this is going to take a hundred hours at my hourly rate, which works out to X, Y, and Z. Uh, I can't guarantee that it's just an estimate. It could take, uh, it could take less time. It could take more time. It could take a lot more time. I'm sure there are a lot of unknown unknowns and, you know, we'll just see what happens if, uh, you know, you can tell me to stop at any time. Mm -hmm. 
And let's say that that works out to just for round numbers, let's say that's a $10,000 estimate for the project. And then you put an option on the proposal, say, well, I've got this other option for you. It's, it's 18,500 and it's a fixed price. And I'm going to guarantee that price. There will be no change orders. There will be no, this is, that is how much it will cost. And at the end of it, we will have, you will have the thing that we discussed on the phone and you basically give a fixed price. It's not, it's not based on value because you probably didn't figure that out in the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's, it's cost plus it's based on time and materials, which is not great, but, um, it's Mm -hmm. important that you have a really big markup, 85% minimum markup, maybe as much as a hundred percent markup on the hourly one. And if you, when you're looking at that number on the proposal, if you're like, man, 18.5 feels really risky. I, I'm really nervous about sticking to that number. I feel like it might, it might be bad. That means mm-hmm. your estimate's probably way off. Like, be yeah. honest with yourself. Are you trying to lowball them with the hourly just so you can get the gig and then drag them through the mud? You know, one, once it goes twice as long as you expected, mm-hmm. you probably you you might be. You know, and so if you can't if you can't stand behind an 85% markup, you know that your estimate's really wrong. You know it. Yeah. So go back and raise your hourly estimate. Be honest with yourself and the client. I think this is going to take 200 hours. It's going to be 20 grand. Probably. Maybe not. Uh, If you want a fixed price, something I'll stand behind. I'll guarantee it's going to be, you know, whatever that 37, 37 Mm -hmm. grand. And that'll be it. That's the final price. hundred percent upfront. And we'll get to work. And at the end, you'll have this thing that you want. And now all of a sudden you might be looking at those numbers and be like, you know what? I am comfortable to be, you know, standing behind 37 grand. That would be huge. And you know, this seems like a pretty small app. I'm probably, I'm I'm certainly missing a million things, but the the price is so high that I've got all sorts of leeway. And even if Mm -hmm. it takes me twice as long as I think I'm still doing pretty well. And I didn't have to fill out one timesheet. I didn't have to send, I, I sent literally one invoice at the beginning I don't have to fight about hours. The, the faster I get it done, the better everybody's better off because you've, you've, you've hopefully done a reasonably good job picking a fixed price. That's actually high enough, mm-hmm. which is the problem with fixed prices is people set them too low almost chronically. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and you will be probably surprised to find that, uh, clients who are even a little bit experienced with, uh, paying for especially software development by the hour, uh, they hate it. They hate it because it's very scary. <laughs> it's very risky. Um, it's very out of control. They're like strapped to the front of the bus and some maniac is driving and they don't know if they're ever going to make it to Boston, you know, and if they do, it was torture the whole way where <laughs> if they know in advance, like, Oh, this is how much it's going to cost. Of course they need to trust you that you're going to stand behind it, but that's a different issue then everybody can relax and just like get to work, focus on the work, focus on the outcome and getting there as quickly as possible because everybody wants it done fast now. Mm -hmm. And the feeling of that. So no, we haven't done any value pricing anywhere in here, but the feeling of disconnecting your, your time from money changes the way that you work in a way that's addictive. It's like, Whoa, all of a sudden, like I can get crazy efficient, do things, do things like, it changes every decision you make. It's, it's yep. a complete mind shift. And, you know, so those are, so those are tips for that. I've found work for people who are 
billing by the hour, sick of it, want to make a change, but don't want to leap straight into, you know, a $250,000 value price project that probably should have been a million. Yep. Cool. So I, we should probably, it looks like we're about at time, it picks time. I'm trying yeah. to say. Uh, have you got any picks this week? Uh, yes. Um, you and I talked about it just briefly before the uh, show, but I recently got to see the David Byrne uh, American Utopia Tour. Mm. Uh, and I would highly recommend anybody that is into music uh, go see that. It was really unique. Uh, there was no fixed gear on the stage in terms of like a drum set or amps or anything. Uh, everybody that was playing an instrument was carrying it either in their hands or strapped to them if it was a guitar or there was a keyboard player with a keyboard on a marching snare drum harness. Uh, and then the whole thing was really highly choreographed. Uh, it's kind of a mix between a, a rock show and a Broadway production sort of, and I recommend it. Awesome. Love David Byrne. Love the heads. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> you told me this, I, I saw you, you tweeted some pictures about it and I've been like, heavy 80s new wave pandora mode on pandora like b52's devo it's it's rem it's like super fun super nostalgic i'm sure (laughs) no one listening knows what i'm talking about but i met someone yesterday that didn't know frank zappa was and i was like kill me kill me now uh cool is that do you have more picks or is that it uh no i'll just go with that one cool this week um, all right, I've got a couple of books. We, we veered into productized consulting land there for a second. So I'm going to pick Jane Portman's book, Your Productized Consulting Guide, mm. uh, which I'll, you can link yeah. to in the show notes. It's uibreakfast.com slash productized dash guide. And uh, that's a great book. Uh, I viewed it. I think I might even be quoted in it. And uh, I can recommend that for sure. Um, all it's it's you know It's a paid thing. Here's a free thing. You can go to how to build your first productized service.com and get my free seven day email course about that exact same topic. So maybe you want to start off with the free course and then maybe go over to Jane's book. Uh, either way, I think you will find a bunch of information that's super useful. Yeah, right. those are both really good. Cool. All right, folks, that'll do it for this week. Bye, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.